This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head to toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do, and Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style, plus their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-B-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. It's a great time to be a fight fan, and coming up on today's show, I'll tell you about some of the biggest fights we should all be looking forward to in the coming months, including the ones that are flying under the radar. I'll get to all that later, but first, let's begin with the latest around a story that I told you guys about on Wednesday. Dawkins and Holland have agreed to do a rematch. Now, before we get to that, and I know that's not the fight we're all clamoring for, but in all fairness, they do have a piece of business that they do need to settle, and it has become more interesting. Can we agree on that? Great. Because it's really not the story. So, the Nevada State Athletic Commission has come out with the suspensions of the last UFC. And... They're very built in. They're very, here's what happened, here's long you're going to sit. Now, you can get around that with the doctor's note, but if you don't, you don't bring the doctor's note, here's what they're going to give you. It's called an automatic suspension. I share that with you because, nope, you didn't have to do anything wrong. It's just they'll give a look at you, and they, they have some boxes they check. Automatic suspensions. They gave, just by example, Santos and Walker both six months. 
They gave Kevin Holland 30 days. Now, Kevin Holland was knocked out and choked out in front of them under their jurisdiction. If you are either knocked out or choked out, you do not qualify for 30 days. The mandatory suspension is much more. Because it was ruled a no contest, they are making believe that he was not knocked out and choked out. I'm only pointing out something interesting. I mean, it's hard to know what those guys are doing. It's very tough. It would be very easy for me to bring a segment to you every single week. I just don't. What's the end game in that? What would possibly the end game be? But that is peculiar. So at any rate, their suspension's already five days in. He's got 20 days left to go. Being knocked out and choked out in the safe knee, but it was ruled a no contest. So I guess it didn't. I guess according to them, it didn't happen. And they're not my favorite commission. The Sugar Athletic Commission is. But Nevada's right there with the Sugar Athletic Commission as my favorite commission, in all fairness. A lot of moving parts there. So what does Holland and Dawkins learn, and what can we make of their first interaction as it pertains to what we can expect in the second? Now, that is a fun topic, and those guys weren't in there that long. And they really weren't. If you go back and you watch that fight, a lot happened. It was a pretty good pace, but they weren't in there that long. I don't know how much either one of them learned physically. I was mainly looking for one thing. I was looking to see how Kevin Holland would do in the defense department with his wrestling, okay? Dawkins pushed him in the fence, dropped down to the legs. Holland even yelled some stuff over at Daniel Cormier, but that's where I'm paying attention. I just wanted to see, because I know that was important to Kevin Holland. I know he focused and worked on it, and I just wanted to see. And I have maintained and continue to that his defense is not as bad as the numbers say. I maintain that he cooperates. I maintain that his strategy and psychology of making believe he can win a fight off of his back is allowing him to let the opponent take him there without the resistance that he naturally has. That's just what I think. So I I think he can fix it. And that's what I'm watching the fight for. But then I am starting to see some other stuff for Dawkins. And Dawkins did use his one and two very well, jabbing across. He used them very well. He knew how to use that length which is an advantage that generally Holland has. But all of a sudden, right, Dawkins is a, is a tall glass of water himself. And he was finding that target. Dawkins could do a little better uh, of a better job getting out of the way of some of the kicks. And I think he does need to go back to that takedown strategy just knowing ahead of time, first off, this guy's working on defense, so I'm going to spend a little bit more time drilling and perfecting my offense. But also, don't be frustrated if you don't get him there. If you're the next opponent of Kevin Holland and you've studied his tapes and you see that guys can take him down repeatedly, but those tapes you studied were with Brunson and Vittori with a Kevin Holland who was cooperating. Don't be frustrated if you can't get him down. He's better at defense than he's shown anyone. That's what I think. So as we do get ready for this second fight, I think that Dawkins is going to need to go in there unfrustrated. And I also don't know is from a physicality standpoint, either one of these guys feels they have the leg up. So then what do we default to? If we don't have physicality, what do we default to? Mentality. So now we have to guess. Having that excitement that Doc has had, that big moment, that victory, only a week after your brother just had his crowning moment. 
And now it's your turn and you feel it and you have it taken away. Oh, that would hurt. Can you use that hurt as motivation? Can you train and prepare better? Can you leave that uh, locker room that night, walk in there and stay focused in the moment as opposed to working yourself up too much? It's a very fine line. But that's what Dawkins is up against. And then the same goes for Holland. If Holland can convince himself, if he can, right? Forget about what happened. Forget about reality. Here's the question. Can Holland convince himself, Dawkins fouled me? Dawkins cheated? Dawkins used his head to knock me out, take my back, and try to defeat me? Can he? Can he flip it as though Dawkins is some evil dirtbag that he must stop for the righteous good of all? It would be a very good motivator. For Kevin, it'd be great for marketing. It would get people worked up. It'd make Dawkins come out and go, now, hold on just a second. I didn't do that on purpose. It would just be for fun, but what is Kevin going to do? What is Dawkins going to do? I maintain for you, if you go back and watch that fight, you're not going to see a lot from an X's and O's standpoint. But mentality-wise, one of these guys has the edge. All I'm asking, in your opinion, who is it? Holland and Dawkins are two names to keep an eye on in the middleweight division. But they're not quite at the top yet, in my opinion. There's three big fights at 185, and we all need to keep our eyes out, so let's get into that. Let's talk middleweight. At middleweight, we have a very clear champion. We have a champion that is so clear that it looks like he's going to have to go back through the division a second time. I mean, I gotta tell you, Adesanya kicks some ass in record time. The mere fact of his short reign, that he's now getting ready to do the rematch, which will lead into, with somebody else, the rematch. Which, if everything goes well, will lead into a rematch. I mean, good job by Adesanya. But I do want to talk about that. I'm putting myself in his shoes, right, guys? The golden rule of life. Put yourself in somebody else's shoes. How would you want to be treated? I do not believe that Adesanya wants to go and do these damn rematches as much as if he was if these were his two options, the rematch or somebody new. That's my guess. And nobody has gotten that ring with Adesanya without Adesanya giving them the blessing. It is like no other champion in the UFC. If Adesanya does not vouch for you, you do not get in there with him. And the reason that Adesanya has been shown that respect by the office is Adesanya calls out the hardest possible guy. I mean, when he called out Yoel Romero, you have a skinny kickboxer from New Zealand's going to take on an Olympic medalist in wrestling from Cuba. He could not have called out a worse matchup. But because he did and took care of business, he gets a respect. I have You have to know that's part of the story, though. Because the rules of number one contendership are also unique to the division at a specific time. And right now, you're not getting in there with Izzy unless Izzy wants you in there with him. Why do I bring that up? Because we've got three matches signed right now. Okay, We've got Cannoneer and Brunson. Neither of those guys should be disrespected any longer, and neither of those guys should be denied any longer. However, they're now it's iron on top of iron, and one of them gets eliminated. That should be that's very cold. So there's got to be an upside, which is whoever wins has something good needs to happen. Can we agree? All right. But we also have Vittori 
going to take on Paulo Costa. Now, that is just a fun fight. I cannot wait. There's a few that jump off the page at me. That one jumps off the page. I cannot wait for that contest to come around. It also, though, does make you wonder with Brunson, with Paulo Costa, and with Vittori, can they become number one contenders? Can they get the blessing of Adesanya when they're going to be a rematch at best? Vittori would be a third meeting. I think we can agree right for now that's not going to draw him. Paulo Costa and Izzy, as awkward and odd as that match, I mean, right, you got Izzy's opinion. I'm trying to guess what it would be. Brunson can't be denied forever, and Cannoneer does have the blessing of Adesanya. Adesanya's actually said that. And it wasn't for the reasons you would think. It wasn't why Adesanya called out Yoel Romero. Izzy Adesanya got seated at a show that he was just a guest at next to Cannoneer. They visited for the better part of the night, and Izzy liked him. Izzy goes, I like that guy. I like his story, and I respect him, and I would never take an opportunity from him. As a matter of fact, I would like to give him one. So right now, of all the guys that win, Cannoneer, at least for that, right, for the pieces that I'm putting out there, Chael's number one contender, I think Cannoneer's in a pretty good spot. I'm just not willing to concede. With a little bit of help, if Dana just flirted with this idea one time and put it out there, Luke Rockholt, Michael Strickland can come in and steal the show. Shining Rockhold up on his first one back in the return to the division. I get that that needs some work. It is unlikely. But if Rockhold does everything just right, has just the right showing, grabs just the right words in the post-fight interview, and gets the attention of Adesanya, it is definitely within the realm of possibility. It is far more reasonable than Vittori getting a win and going into it. It's far more interesting to Adesanya than having to go in there with Brunson a second time. I mean, Luke Rockhold is not a man without a country here. He's got a way to go. He's in the water. He needs a couple of life rafts to come in, but they're possible. Strickland, if he wins, will have eight victories in a row. He will be the new guy. Strickland's fan base is growing faster than anybody's in the sport. Are you guys aware of that? Sean Strickland is one of the hottest commodities in MMA right now. And I'm not proclaiming for you he's he's the biggest draw. What I'm proclaiming is whatever draw he used to be five months ago, he's bigger now than any other gap that anybody else has made. Are you ready for that? So if Strickland goes out and gets a win over Luke, who is universally known within the sport, and a former world champion, has his seventh win, represents new blood, it's an interesting match. It's a very interesting match. And if you ever can have good versus evil, there's no story easier to tell in the beginning of time. That's why every movie you see has a good and an evil every single time. This one would be organic, right? You got a good and you got a bad. It's going to be very organic. The story tells itself, I am not willing and I am never going to back down. I need help. Sure I do. I need Luke and Sean to start backing what I'm saying. I got to gain some steam to this, but I am not ready to look away. I am not ready to say anything other than Luke Rockhold and Strickland is possibly the number one contenders match. 
So that's the latest on 185, and coming up next, I'll tell you about the biggest storylines happening at 205 pounds. But first, a quick word about today's sponsor. Today's episode of Your Welcome is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive, tasty, daily nutritional beverage I have ever had. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutrition habits and give our bodies the nutrients it needs to thrive. Busy schedules, poor sleep, exercise, stress, or simply not eating enough of the right foods can leave us with a deficiency. This is where Athletic Greens has come to the rescue for me. One scoop of this daily, all-in-one superfood powder contains 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multi-mineral, probiotic, greens, superfood blend, and more. They all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in our diet, increase energy and focus, help with digestion, and support a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products. What a relief. Athletic Greens is my one stop for it all. So simple, so easy. For you athletes out there, this product is NSF certified for sport. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you are keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free or gluten free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. Athletic Greens is offering my audience a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. Covering your bases with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health daily simple, tasty, and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash chael and join the athletes and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to optimal health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash chael and get your free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Guys, what's going on at 205 pounds? I mean, as you look at 205, who do you believe is going to be the next number one contender? And you've got the biggest household name that's still available is Anthony Smith. So is Anthony Smith going to be the next guy? Nobody's main evented 205 pounds more than Lionheart. And that's a literal statement, particularly in the absence of John Jones. And we are in the absence of John Jones. So you got Jan Blahovich as the champion. You got Glover Teixeira, who's 80 years old, as the number one contender. And by the way, rightfully so. Glover can beat and has beat absolutely everybody else. That's the right guy. But we at least know this is his last crack. If he wins it, he'll run with it. If he doesn't win it, he's not getting back to number one contendership. But that's my question to you. You got Yuri Provozvik in there, and you got Rachik. And those guys are two killers. Now, there's plenty of other talent in that weight class, but these are the guys that appear to me to be scratching on the door because you need more than talent. You've always needed more than talent. You must have and arrive at the table with the mandate of the masses. You do not get to tell us how good you are. Your record doesn't get to tell us how good you are. Your trainers and coaches don't get to tell you how good you are. The promoter does not get to decide how good you are. The audience will. So no matter how much you want to say you have the skills, the audience will be the experts that will assess you and decide, do you get to go, uh, move forward? And once you convince the audience, everything else falls into place. And Prosevic and Rachik 
for me, appear to be the guys that I know the least about, but I'm the most interested in. Does that make sense? So you have a lot of players there and you have a lot of pieces. And I'm also not seeing Yuri or Rachik stepping forward and making these demands. Somebody has to step forward and claim it. Someone has to. If it gets done for you, okay, that's no way to run your career. That is absolutely not a strategy, right? Hope is not a strategy. It does happen. Somebody has to step forward and claim it. They don't have to go in there and fight. They don't have to, one, have to eliminate the other. If one claims it and the other concedes, it's his spot. If one claims it and the other challenges, now they can go fight. Usually that fight will take place in the octagon. Occasionally that fight will take place in the media. But you're in a fight either way, or you're not the number one contender. And I don't say this to give those guys a hard time. I think those guys are great. And Dominic Reyes appears to be taking a breath. Rock, Holt, and Weidman had come up. That experiment, they've changed course back down to middleweight. Anthony Smith, absolutely new parody. He's been in there with Glover, but he has not been in there with Yawn. But is Anthony likely to get another chance, or are we going to look for parody within the division? I don't know the answers. I don't know the answers. And I'm talking about right now. Of course, if Anthony goes out and has another main event and another victory, particularly if it's against Provisor or Rachik, he's probably going to be the guy. But where are the rest of the 205 pounders? I'm doing a piece on 205 pounds right now, a division I used to be in, a division that I study, one of my favorite divisions. I got four names. Do you have more? And I don't suggest for you that I only know the four names of the four best guys. Maybe that's the case. Maybe. But maybe there's somebody else, and why haven't they stepped forward? I haven't seen anybody making a play against Glover, and maybe that's just purely respect. Everybody likes Glover. Maybe that's just purely respect, or maybe they don't think he's going to win. But I have not heard anybody trying to align themselves with Glover. Which, if you were the one to make that leap, and then Glover wins, and you're the only one that's been in his ear, you're the only one associated with him in the media, you're the one he's going to have to respond to, you're in a great spot. But it's a gamble. Glover's the underdog. Okay, fine. I don't hear anybody attaching themselves to Blahovich. I have not heard anybody saying, I should be next. I want him. I can beat him. He's overhyped and overplayed. Anything along these lines to get anybody's level of interest. I promise you guys, there's skills there. You know how great Lionheart is. I don't got to sell him on you. Raprokolovich and Rachik are also studs. And there's more. Why haven't we heard from them? Sticking with today's theme of discussing the divisions, I want to talk about 145 pounds because all of a sudden, things are getting really interesting down there. Featherweight. Did we just get a big clue? So, Dana White, Contender Series, media afterwards, Dana gets asked about Henry Cejudo coming into the division and going right in against Volkanovski. And don't forget, we don't have a lot of clues right now. But the one clue we do have from Henry, according to Henry, who I personally 
encourage you guys to take, as the real Henry, who's being sincere, says that he wants to come back, he wants to fight Volganovsky, he's taking the first step, which is to enter the USADA testing pool. I bring that to you not to be redundant with yesterday's information. I bring that to you because Henry has not flirted with the idea of becoming a contender. He's not flirted with the idea of getting in there with Max. Yeah, ear. He's only going after Volkanovski. He's made it very clear that his story and message is champ, 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 which quite frankly is a damn good story. And there's only one guy who has the opportunity to tell it. We have no champ champs right now that can go into a third weight class, right? Even if you look at Amanda, she just can't make 125. So when I say Henry's the only person that can tell this story, and it's a pretty interesting one, he's playing this right. This is the big card. Is it enough? Is it enough to convince Dana White? All right. Hold that thought because Dana gets asked, Hey, are you going to let Henry slip in on a six over here? Or are we still looking at Holloway Rodriguez? And Dana doesn't directly answer it, but he does have a little fun with the guy and says, what do you think I should do? Do you think I should keep Max in your ear as planned as the number one contender's bout? Or do you think I should bring in a guy who hasn't fought, done anything in over a year, let him skip the line and let him fight with Volkanovsky? So, had a little fun with this back and forth, but Dana was letting us in on something, and this is very consistent. I mean, I can take you back two weeks ago when Nick Diaz was rumored, if he beats Robbie Lawler, to be going right in with Kamara Usman for a fight. That's a big fight and an interesting story, and Dana squashed it. He said, that's the dumbest thing in the world. Why would I ever put a guy who hasn't fought in five years in there against the current pound-for-pound -pound best? He dismissed it. I mean, he left no room. I understand Nick and Henry are on different paths, right? One went out on a loss. One went out on a win. One went out in a fun fight. One went out as the champion of the world. One went out five years ago, and one went out 12 months ago. I get that they're different, but the message from Dana is still very consistent, which is, come back, let's see what you got, you show me, we go from here. And this was not hard and fast. If you didn't see this interview, I do not want you to take away from my words that Dana has closed the book on the opportunity of Henry Volkanovsky being Henry's return fight. He hasn't. But he was pretty consistent, and he did get pretty close. This was a major opportunity. I don't watch a lot of press conferences myself. Can you guys relate to that? You probably don't watch a lot of them. I watched that one. And Dana knew people were watching that one. But he did not do what traditionally he would do, which is to feel out the room, see which way the wind's blowing, talk with everybody. I think he's closed the book. I really do. He didn't say those words. I believe he's closed the book. Okay, let's say that I'm right. And let's go back to another door that Dana did open, which is Max versus Year. That one jumps off the page. I mean, as a fight, as a fight, that could be the greatest fight of all time. And I don't think any of you would disagree with me. It could be. And you can't say that about just any fight. Sometimes we know we're going to have a good fight here. We could have a good fight here. Oh, we got a little bit of a mismatch here. The mere fact, those two could be the greatest fight of all time. Can we all agree on that? Yes. Okay. But imagine it is. 
Imagine Max and your ear put on the greatest fight of all time, even if that's not literal, it's a broad stroke, it's going to be a wonderful fight. Imagine if they do. They're going to bludgeon each other for 25 minutes. That's what they do. They don't go hit double legs. They're not looking to pass guard. They're not trying to get to full mount. They're looking to punch and kick and knee and elbow each other, and they have up to 25 minutes to do it. What is my point? My point is they're not going to have a quick turnaround. Volkanovski's already out. This match that I'm talking about becoming the number one contenders match isn't today. So if you do wait and make that the number one contenders bout, which is a glaring, it's a fantastic idea. You're just going to, like anything in life, right? One positive and then it accidentally creates something. The accidental creation, the byproduct will be Volkanovsky, who's done nothing wrong, has to remain unemployed for X amount of time. And that's the way it goes. That might be exactly what it is. But if we're going to show Volkanovsky a respect to the one and only thing that he asked for after defending his title against Ortega, don't make me wait. Move me up a weight class. Take me out of title contention, but get me to work. Okay, that means something to me. When Volkanovsky, who's never asked us for a damn thing, is asking us, the community, to get him a quick match, and the very first thing that we're confronted with is, do we need to put him out, let these two other guys that are clearly the top guys figure their business out, let them recover, let them recruit, do the negotiations, go into training camp, start the media tour, and then fight. I mean, we could be seven months. That's the long side of it, but we could be seven months. Or do you bring in Giga? Who's ready now? And those are your options. It's as simple as that. Henry is offering his services. Henry will qualify. Can Henry cut the line? Yeah, as a matter of fact, he could if he, if he could do a more seductive date. He could. Henry, who's re-entering the pool, has to sit four months. So Henry does not check the box of convenience. Henry's out. Do we want to run the gamble that either Max or your ear doesn't go out and have the most bludgeoning contest that Chael is speaking of? Do we run the, make the bet? They're going to get in, they're going to get out, they're going to be ready to go. Do we do that and try to turn the whole thing around quickly? Or do we go to Giga, who's ready right now? And I don't want to influence you, I'm reminding you. They're all, they're all pretty good options in fairness. But you can only pick one. If it were you, Dana asked last night. Dana asked a guy last night for advice. So let's extend Dana's openness. And I'm going to ask you Dana's question. Henry, the winner of Max Shaheer or Giga? Because your only fourth option is that Volkanovsky, wait. I want to spend the rest of the show talking about a few fights that I'm really excited about. One of them is Fury Wilder Part 3, which goes down tomorrow night. That's in a couple of minutes, but first, I want to talk about another heavyweight fight that's going down next year, and I cannot wait. UFC 270, does that mean anything to you guys? UFC 270, like, does that trigger something? of a timeline of a calendar within your brain. Because i got to tell you, it doesn't for me. I've always been lost on the numbers. But I'm speaking this way because that's the way that people within the sport speak. So UFC 270. Let me do it in easier terms. Partway through January. How's that? 
Partway through January, there will be a card. On that card, rumored, will be when the heavyweights finally collide. Francis Ngannou, surreal gone. I believe, and I know that's very quiet right now, I realize, but that was red hot right when it happened, right when Surreal beat Derek Lewis. That was red hot. I heard Max Kellerman speaking about it. I heard Stephen A. speaking about it. That's big. That's real media. It was massive. I get that it's cooled down. That's okay. That's okay. Because that's going to rear back up, and I believe that is going to be an absolutely massive fight. I believe that that is going to set records. Will that outdo UFC 100? I don't know. I don't know. Will it set a, a record and be the biggest fight of the last 12 months, be the biggest fight of the entire year, and they're going to kick it off in January, or even just be the biggest fight within the heavyweight division? There's a number of records out there. I submit for you now, that's going to break some records. Think of how big that fight is. Now, on the co-main event, by rumor, is Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker. That is a big deal for multiple reasons, starting with middleweight has been very confusing. I've come to you guys a number of times, and I, I've asked you, guys, did I miss something? Is Robert Whitaker said he'll do the fight? Has Robert Whitaker said he won't do the fight? I've missed something. Fill me in. And I would read your guys' comments, and you'd say, I don't know either. You'd say, Chael, I don't think you missed anything. I heard the same thing you did. Whitaker was offered. It looks like Whitaker doesn't want it. Whitaker's not doing anything else, which means he defaults into it. We don't know. Well, now, by rumor, right? But in this sport, where there's, where there's smoke, there's fire. By rumor, Whitaker, Adesanya, Dunn, and they're going to a co-main event spot. That's interesting to me. I mean, there's any card to get points and participate in. It's the one I just named. You are going to have Francis versus Surreal, champion versus champion, warrior versus Hogan on top of the card. And now you've got what I believe is a bigger star. I don't have access to these numbers. I believe Adesanya is currently a bigger draw than Francis. Like Stephen A. Smith, I don't predict anybody is a bigger star with Francis if Francis gets two more wins. Two more wins. That, that includes McGregor. Two more wins, Francis, but for right now, Adesanya, I think if I would have told you this a month ago, hey, Adesanya's going to do a fight in his next, he's going to be co-main event. To who? Adesanya's jerking a curtain? For who? Well, Hogan versus Warrior, pretty damn big fight. And as much as this is surprising to you that Adesanya is a co-main event, it should also excite you because the card's going to cost the same amount of money. It should be very good for Adesanya, who gets to be part of a card with heavyweight, both the interim champion and the heavyweight champion. Exciting night. Big night. Robert Whitaker's to the table. We've got our answer. January, midway through, we've got our date. UFC 270, don't know what it means. Talk to you guys next time. Wilder versus Fury, part three. Is this part three? I thought this was the rematch. I know that it's a rematch to some degree, but is it the rematch of a rematch? And I'll tell you why I asked. Tyson Fury said, I beat Deontay Wilder twice. But Tyson Fury, right, you never know what he's saying. Is he saying they fought? Did they fight in the amateurs and I don't know about it? Did they fight in the pros that I don't know about? I only know about their last fight. Or, and this is highly possible, in fact, even the one I suspect, is Fury saying, I beat him twice in the last fight. You know how a fighter can do that sometimes? 
oh, I beat him so bad, and then I came back and beat him again, and he was saved by the belt. I, I don't know. I don't know. I would like to know if this is the rematch of the rematch, if anybody knows, but I was over at DraftKings. Because this is a very interesting fight for me. And I am fairly confident that Fury's going to win. But where does that confidence come from? DraftKings right now has Fury as a 3-1 to one favorite. That's a pretty widespread in my opinion. That is worthy of a few bucks on Wilder. Now, their last fight, Fury beat his ass. But Fury got his ass beat. And I feel as though people are forgetting how that match went. And there's a couple of knocks on Wilder going in. First off, it's just the size. Wilder is a very big and a very good-looking heavyweight. He looks like an athlete while being a heavyweight, but Fury's got a cut to make the weight class. Fury is a monster. So Fury comes in with that advantage, which generally makes a guy slower. Fury is not only the biggest heavyweight out there, he's the best conditioned. Fury is coming at you. Okay, but this is what it is. And when you do look at Wilder, there is some real sloppiness in his sweet science skills, in all fairness. He's got some natural power that he was born with, and if he didn't have that, you don't know what his name is right now. He is not a pure boxer. Don't have to be. I'm not putting him down. He's got a way to go. The question becomes, in many ways, not only what's going to be different than the, the last fight, what is your motivation and why are we here? What a guy's motivation is, and to know that ahead of time, first off, is rare. But second off is extremely helpful, so let's break this down, okay? While Fury was, uh, Fury was successful in stopping Wilder in their last fight, Wilder's corner threw the towel in. Wilder got in the locker room, tuned to his four cornermen, says, which one of you threw the towel in, and fired him on the spot. And the guy grabbed his bag and walked out of the locker room, the facility, and Deontay Wilder's life. The only guy that he should not have fired was the guy who looked out for his safety, but I'm telling you the story. This is how this happened, okay? And I'm going somewhere with this. If you want to go to dkng.co slash Sonnen, you can get these odds, and they're just a little bit better than three to one, but you got to go there and you got to do it now. Where am I going? What's my point? Here, when that fight ends, Deontay Wilder had possibly the strangest excuse I have ever heard. His excuse was fatigue of his legs. The culprit for the fatigue was a outfit, a metal armor outfit that he walked to the ring in. He said, I never put that thing on. That some bitch was so heavy, I couldn't feel my legs the rest of the night. Now, while you guys are going to laugh at him and tease him, I believe it. That happened to me. I swear to goodness, this can be a real thing. And we can tease him for putting on that stupid suit. We can tease him for owning that stupid suit. The guy that should be fired in the back is the one that handed him that stupid suit. But that's not what we're discussing right now. Could have his legs been absolutely fatigued. And if you can't move, if you have dead legs in boxing, your legs are more important than your hands. That is not a literal statement, but it's goddamn close. You've got to be able to move to get into the target. But for all of your defensive work, you have to be able to move. Said so my legs were too heavy. Guys, listen to what happened to me was going to fight with a guy named Paulo Filo. I have to go cut weight for the fight. My cornerman tells me there's a sauna, and he tells me he's already been to it and it's piping hot. And I get over there relatively late. I, I, it's not that I don't have time, but I have just enough time. So I get over there late. He'd lied. He had never been there. 
The sauna wasn't hot. I know that because once we got there, the sauna did not exist. He thought there was a sauna, and so he was just confident. And t- Come on, hey, I know where the sauna is. It's right over here. As a matter of fact, I just left it. Oh, I got it hot for us. It's ready for you to go. There was no sauna. So he's busted. And I am now in an air-conditioned room that has one piece of equipment, and it's a Stairmaster. Now, a Stairmaster is a perfectly fine piece of exercise. It's not what a professional athlete would do. The relevance to that is I'm now doing an exercise that I'm not used to and I have no choice. And I'm doing it as hard and fast as I can because I got to get this weight off and I got to get back to the venue to get to the scale. So I do an exercise that my body is not used to, which did what? Exhausted my legs. I woke up the next morning. I couldn't move. I had pain going down my hamstrings and I knew what it was from. Anytime, even if you're an athlete that takes athletics very seriously, if you do a new exercise that you're not used to, you are going to feel it for a number of days. You will be as sore as can be. Sometimes it's hard to find a new exercise because you, between strength and conditioning and the sport that you're doing itself and the hobbies and in between, you generally work your whole body. I will tell you, I did not do stairs. I did not do stair steppers. So I was fried. And I only bring that because I know when Deontay made that claim, I just had a flashback to when that happened to me and it can be real. And whether you want to accept it or not, we can at least accept that Deontay Wilder believes it, and that's relevant. Because while you probably remember how that fight ended, which was he was getting beat so bad that his own team said stop, you probably also forgotten what had happened up until that point. Deontay Wilder was one second away from knocking Fury out. The ref got to nine. And when Fury did the Undertaker move and popped up to his feet, I understand that Fury is fine. I understand that he was being a showman. I understand he wanted to do the Undertaker move. And you understand why he's a genius. It worked. It was beautiful. We only remember two things of the fight. We don't remember him getting knocked down. We remember him getting up. Who's another fighter you can say that about? None. In the history of boxing or MMA, you don't remember how a guy got up. You remember who knocked his ass down. Except for Tyson Fury. Because he is a step ahead. Either way, officially, he was one second from being out. So that was a back-and-forth fight. And Deontay Wilder did largely show us and support my thesis, which is he's not a very good boxer. But he's super powerful, and he's an incredibly effective boxer. What would you rather be? Would you rather be really good at something or really effective? You'd rather be effective. So I'm not putting Wilder down. No way. Okay, how much of this is real? How much is your attempt to put a hole in a boat as you move on with your career? Well... All of it was real, at least to Deontay, and how do we know that? Because Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury, which would have been the biggest boxing fight of the last decade, get signed, and and Deontay Wilder steps in and sues. He goes to an arbitrator, and he sues and says, go read my contract. I have an automatic rematch clause. I am exercising that clause. The arbitrator ruled in Wilder's favor. So Bob Arum, who has a chance to just pay this thing off, allegedly came in with $8 million. Deontay Wilder, stay home. I will send you $8 million. $8 million reasons to let this fight happen, and then you can still have the fight. You just got to wait one. And Wilder said, no, I don't want the money. That's where things now change. 
If you're going to take me up in this and you're going to go to dkng.co slash sun and you need to rehear the story I just told you. Not only did Wilder put Fury down and was one second away from being the victor, not only did he disagree with the stoppage to the fact of sincerity that he fired that cornerman and has not spoke to him since, not only does he believe the only reason that he lost is because his legs were tired because he wore a 40-pound suit in the ring that he never had on before, but he is not willing to take $8 million to tell his story somewhere else. He wants to compete. He wants to fight. That's a very interesting story from a very dangerous man who wants this more than he wants the paycheck. When's the last time you could say that about a boxer? Any one of them. He's not here for the money. He does not like the way this story was told, and he knows he could beat that man. Is he right? That's between those two. I think Fury beats him. I don't think Fury was hurt near as bad as he played. I think he wanted to sit up like The Undertaker. I think Fury's got that pressure. I think Fury's coming forward. There's also been times in Fury's career where I'm not positive that he trained for a fight, and he seems not only confident, he seems overly confident. I don't know that Fury himself remembers that entire last contest. I think he only remembers how it ended. And I think that's what the betters are doing. I think that's what DraftKings is doing. I think you should go to dkng.co slash sunnen, get you a couple of bucks on Wilder. I'm picking Fury, by the way. I'm telling you to take this action because the spread's so goddamn good, you can't look away from it. If you're a handicapper and you look away from three to one odds, come on. You've got to give a good look at that. So I'll enjoy the fight. It's going to be Saturday, and I will recap it for you next week. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Remember, if you want more from me, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, follow me on TikTok, or visit ChaelSunnan.com for everything else. Look, I'm off for a comedy show. I'm looking forward to the fights, but I promise you I will be back on Wednesday to discuss it all. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are... Welcome.